In these verses, we see that Paul is a man on fire. In this passage, we're going to concentrate on verses 1 to 5 this morning. We see that Paul's heart is stirred. This passage is throbbing with his intimate, personal concern for this church in Colossae that he writes to. He's not hiding his concern. No, he wants them to know how burdened he is for them there in verse 1. He says that he wants them to know. He wants them to know how he feels about them. And in this passage, we're going to see how Paul models to us our hearts and how our hearts ought to be toward the church, toward Christ's body, his people. Because Paul has been contending He's been struggling. He's been, if you like, busting himself there in verse 1. Literally, he's been agonising, wrestling, like a wrestler will wrestle with an opponent. With an opponent. But why? Why is Paul so troubled? Why is he so emotional here? Why is he so emotional for a people that he's, in fact, never met? Well, Paul did know of some of those that he was writing to, Epaphras and Philemon, probably from his time in Ephesus. But he didn't really know what the place looked like. He didn't know what the people were like, the personalities that were there. But he is struggling. He's contending for people he's never met, for a church he has never been to, for people that he doesn't know personally. Why? Well, as we saw last week, Paul had a commission. God had commissioned him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And secondly, he was their brother. If there were believers over the valley down there in Colossae, his heart beat together with theirs because he was unified with them in the body of Christ. Thirdly, he cared about them not just because he'd been commissioned or because he was their brother, but he had, if you like, this paternal instinct. He had sent Epaphras there, and Epaphras had taken that word of the gospel. And so he cared very much for these people that he, had that he seeks to encourage. You see, as Paul thinks about other Christians, he can't just flick off the switch. His heart is not safe. In fact, the only place that our heart is safe is in a coffin. Paul is giving himself to these people and he's struggling with them and for them. Later on in the book, we see the nature of his struggle. Over in a couple of pages, you'll see there in Colossians chapter 4, verse well, that Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. That's the same word that's used yet there in chapter 2. He, he's labouring, he's contending, he's struggling. And this is how Paul often thinks of prayer. Prayer in Paul's mind in the last chapter of Ephesians is seen as warfare. Often we think of prayer as a serene, calm kind of act, 
activity. But often in Paul's mind, it's not like that. Prayer is hard work. Prayer is a struggle. Prayer is indeed a fight. And I guess that's why many of us struggle to pray, because sometimes we expect prayer to be easy. But in fact, in Paul's mind, prayer is hard. And his struggle here is hard, but the greatness of his struggle for these people is seen in his prayer. See, Paul had this this heart, this massive heart, a heart like Farla, with a great capacity for people and for the concern of others. He knew the agony of what it is to struggle for others. Those sleepless nights, hearts that are hurt. But he also knew that with this concern, there was not only the agony, but there was also the joy. And that's the nature of Christian fellowship. There's both an agony, a struggle, a hardship, but there's also a joy. There's also a wonder. And we travel with one another in this journey of the ups and downs. And so if it sometimes feels like a struggle, we must remind ourselves that this is what the Apostle Paul felt. He felt a labour. He felt a struggle for those that he cared for. And so we too know that struggle. We too know that hardship of being within the body of the Lord Jesus. It's not always easy. It's often joyous, but it's not always easy. Why is Paul agonising? Why is Paul's heart here throbbing for this church in Colossae? Well, he gives us a clue there in verses 2 and 3. He says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may know the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God and Christ. See, the Apostle Paul longs for this church. And it's not just a vague longing. No, it's a very specific longing there in verse 2. He's longing for a deepening knowledge of the Lord Jesus. You see, because the key to this church's well-being, the key to their spiritual health is not the absent, absence or presence of pressure from the world around them. No, that's not what Paul's praying for. Paul is concerned that they might know the Lord Jesus. Because when they know the Lord Jesus, when they're growing in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus, it doesn't quite matter what's happening around them. Because the Lord Jesus is their centre. And they are to focus on him. They are to grow in their knowledge of him. And in many ways this sounds kind of obvious for those that have been around church a little while. A young girl around the age of eight wrote to C.S. Lewis two weeks before he died and she wrote a letter to him thanking him for his books that she enjoyed. 
And C.S. Lewis writes back to this girl, and he writes this, he says, Dear Ruth, if you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong for you, and I hope you always do so. Paul's mind is like that of C.S. Lewis's. If young Ruth continues to love Jesus, then not much else can go wrong for her. And Paul knew that truth, that if we love him, then nothing much can go wrong for us. Now, the Colossians knew of Jesus. They had heard of him. They had come to believe in him. But Paul's concerned with their perception of the Lord Jesus, with how large the Lord Jesus is to them in the light of what's surrounding them. And we too have to ask that question. Many of us know the Lord Jesus, we trust in the Lord Jesus, but how do we see the Lord Jesus? Do we believe that he is the creator of all? the sustainer that holds everything together, that gives us every breath? Do we know him as the reconciled, the one who has given himself to bring us to the Father? Do we know him as the one who loves us, who cares for us in our each and every moment? This is the Lord Jesus of Paul's mind. This is the Lord Jesus of chapter 1 in Paul's letter. And when we know the enormity of the Lord Jesus, in Paul's mind, that gives us a wisdom. It gives us a wisdom in our world. Because there in verse 3, Jesus is described as a treasure. A treasure in which wisdom and knowledge is found. Paul here sees Jesus as not only salvation, but in salvation, wisdom. From the outset of the letter, Paul has prayed that his recipients would receive wisdom back in chapter 1, verse 9. And at the very end of the letter, Paul wants these believers to continue to walk in wisdom and here in chapter 2, verse 3, we're told that, that Jesus is the source, the repository of wisdom. And not only is he this treasure, treasure trove of wisdom, but he is the one in whom all knowledge is found. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And so that means something. That means something firstly in the context of those that Paul writes to. Because perhaps they've lost sight of that. We know that there were some who had come in, these false teachers who had spoke another message, who had spoken another message. That perhaps the believers needed supplements or substitutes for the love of Jesus. But Paul wants to remind 
these believers that if they want knowledge, if they want wisdom, if others are offering wisdom and knowledge to them, they don't need to look any further than the Lord Jesus. Because he's the source of spiritual wisdom. He is the source of spiritual knowledge. He is the one for whom Paul wants them to trust and to keep on trusting, as we'll see next week in verses 6 and 7. Paul is insisting to, to these believers that they don't need to experiment. They don't need to go outside the Lord Jesus to grow in their Christian faith. And this is important for us. It's important for us in our modern world to come to grips with the reality that the Lord Jesus is the one for whom all treasure and wisdom is found. It's important to note here that Paul is speaking about a particular wisdom and a particular knowledge. I don't think Paul is discounting that there is wisdom to be found in other sources outside the Lord Jesus. We see this actually in the wider scope of the Bible, in the book of Proverbs. We see that there are in fact some Proverbs that were taken from the Egyptians and are collected within the book of Proverbs. So the Bible itself understands that there is a logic and an understanding in how our world works outside of the people of God. And so we as Christians can pursue knowledge and wisdom found in biology, in science, in engineering, in business, in commerce. We can grow in our knowledge. But what the, what the Apostle Paul here is saying is that there is ultimate wisdom, ultimate spiritual wisdom only found in the Lord Jesus. Because as much as we might grow in our wisdom, in how the world works, in the subjects that we might study, in the endeavours of life that we might find ourselves in, we do understand how the world works. The more and more we study and the more and more we participate in those things. But that wisdom and that knowledge will never bring us to the Father. That wisdom and that knowledge will not provide for us ultimate peace. That wisdom and that knowledge will not grow us spiritually. The Lord Jesus is the one who grows us spiritually. The Lord Jesus is the one who wants to grow us spiritually. And so we must remind ourselves that he is the one for which we go to. He is the centre of our faith. And he is the one who longs to teach us. Paul wants these believers to grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But he wants them to do it in a particular way. You see there in verse 2, he wants them to be united in love. He wants them to be knitted together in love. You see, they can't simply obtain an intellectual knowledge of the Lord Jesus, the Apostle Paul is saying. 
No, in fact, it needs to be, it needs this growing knowledge of the Lord Jesus needs to occur within a context. And that context is brotherly love. One commentator, F.F. Bruce, says, you can't grow in knowledge without growing in love for your brother. See, it's not an intellectual comprehension that Paul is urging these believers gain. No, in fact, it, it's a mystery. It, it, it's a knowledge that's, in, in one sense, um, not obvious. It's a mystery, a mystery that is the Lord Jesus. So it gives us a clue about the type of knowledge that Paul is speaking of here. He's speaking of a relational knowledge. He's speaking of the kind of knowledge of the way in which we get to know someone. We get to know a friend. Someone who at first to us is unknown, perhaps their name is the first thing we learn. Then we meet them, we see them smile, we get to learn of their characteristics, how they relate to us. This is the kind of knowledge that Paul is speaking of. And here is the context. We are to love other believers. And as we love other believers, we start to grow in the way in which we see Christ. It verifies the truth that we know of the Lord Jesus. It expands upon it. It gives it an assurance and a certainty. It's very difficult in Paul's mind to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus outside of the body of the Lord Jesus. And you notice there that the language there is in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. Paul's concern here is for the richness of their knowledge. And it could well be that Paul here has in mind these false teachers, these Gnostics, these ones who have come into this church and have taken some away in, their, in the centrality of their concern for the Lord Jesus. But Paul wants to draw them back. Paul wants them to know that in the Lord Jesus, all treasure and spiritual knowledge is found. In the Lord Jesus, he is a storehouse for spiritual knowledge. <clears throat> I don't know if you ever walk along a beach and, and you just wonder to yourself, um, is, a, is a bottle going to float up? Uh, on the shore, or um, un under that uh, little bit of sand, is it a rock, or is it perhaps a treasure? I used to do that as a kid. I was always scanning to see if there might be treasure under a rock, under a stick. I never found any, but the treasure in Paul's mind is the Lord Jesus. He is the storehouse. Within him are gold nuggets of our knowledge of God, the incarnate word, the lamb that was slain, the ascended king. You can only know of those radical spiritual realities in the Lord Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself tells of a story. He tells of a story 
in the Gospel of Matthew where a man is where a man finds treasure and he finds treasure in a field and he goes and sells everything he has to find that treasure and in many ways the story is about the risk that the man takes it's in one sense if you were looking at this man's life well and he didn't know of the treasure it would make sense He's taking a risk from the outside, but he takes a risk because he's convinced that in that other field, there is great treasure. And for us, friends, there is a risk. There's perhaps even a loss, because if Jesus really is our treasure, we will do everything and anything we can to find him. And you notice that the treasure there is hidden. I think Paul uses that language because there's a sense of discovery here. There's a sense of growing discovery. It's not as if that we find that treasure once. I think as we grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, we continue to find that within the treasure there is more treasure. To be found. There's always a freshness to the Lord Jesus. There's always a new reality for us to comprehend. And so we must love Him. We must know that in Him is treasure. And we must love Him within the context of His people. And as we do, a mystery unfolds. unfolds. If we grasp the Lord Jesus even imperfectly, and believe in him, it brings us life. But if we do so in a way in which we are loved and we love others within our church, it just doesn't bring life, it brings wisdom and knowledge. And so Paul is concerned that they see what the treasure, they see what treasure the Lord Jesus is. But also he's concerned for that which would take them away for, from this treasure. There in those last two verses, Paul's concern that they might not be led astray. There in verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. One of the key ways for us not to be deceived is for us to be growing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Because if Christ is our treasure, then those arguments, those fine-sounding arguments, hold little sway. It would seem that those in the church had provided logical arguments, arguments that had some degree of truth to them. But these arguments had led some astray. And here Paul is concerned that they not be led astray. And it's a great warning to us because those fine-sounding arguments have been fine-tuned over the past 2,000 years. We must be on guard. And the best way for us to be on guard against fine-sounding arguments that would lead us away from the Lord Jesus is to focus in on him and in our growing knowledge of him. In verse 5, Paul takes us the full circle. 
He's concerned for them. He's concerned for this church and this church 15 kilometres up the road. He's concerned so much for them that he, in one sense, is with them in verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Even though he has never seen them, even though he has never met them, he reminds them that he is with them spiritually. Paul, elsewhere in the Bible, makes similar remarks in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3. And by informing the Colossians here that he is with them in spirit, Paul is saying, he's saying more than, look, you know, I'm just thinking about you. No, he wants to maintain a spiritual bond with them. Even though he's not with them physically, this bond is no less real. And this has been the case for us over the past couple of months. We've been dispersed. We look forward to gathering on the 5th of December. We still have a couple of weeks before we gather in person. But we are gathered here and we are gathered around the Lord Jesus spiritually because we are all united to him. We belong to a spiritual body of which Christ is the head. And therefore, whether we can see it or not sometimes, we must know that we are spiritually connected to one another, even if physically separated, even as Christ can be present by the Spirit. Then we too, can be connected as a body of the Lord Jesus by his spirit. And may we maintain that bond of love. May we be knitted together in love. And may we grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Amen.